0: Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Malachi chapter 2. This is part 3 of uh, Divorce and Remarriage, and so today I'm going to conclude my little detour on this subject. We've been talking about it for the last two weeks, and it's an important subject because divorce and remarriage is so rampant in the world, in our culture, and it's very uh, prevalent in the church and uh, a lot of people have gone through these waters. My desire is not to beat up anybody that has had to uh, go through this experience or walk through it. Uh, Thank you so much. But rather to basically just look at what the Bible has to say and to be encouraged in the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Lord, thanks so much today for your word. We pray that You will help me to uh, speak it, and I pray that you will give the people that are here and watching online uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand what the word of God and the Holy Spirit would say to us for your glory, amen. So verse 16 of Malachi chapter 2 is an interesting verse because there... The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. I've been spending a lot of time on this subject. I've been trying to unpack it biblically because, as I said, it affects so many people who are divorced and remarried and who do love the Lord. And uh, we have said that God hates divorce, but he does not hate divorced people. Because God is a God that loves people. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and Jesus said that the only sin that could never be forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Every other sin can be forgiven. And a lot of people ask, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, I think the simple answer is is that you harden your heart to a point where you die unsaved, (laughs) and then you can't be forgiven. Um, So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, you should pay attention and do what he tells you to do. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to now turn over to Mark 10. We talked about it a little last week, but I'm going to reread it to you because this is what the Lord Jesus said on this subject when he was asked by the Pharisees. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. I think that our computer has pooched out today, is that correct? All right, so you're actually going to have, pardon? Going to the just not on yeah, here. just not on here. So for those of you that are here, please open your Bibles, which is always good to see. All right, then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. So he's on the east side of the Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, and they shall no longer, uh, no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So what's the context of this passage? First, we know that the Pharisees asked this question not because they were friends of Jesus, not because they were sincere and wanted information about what the scriptures taught on the subject. Rather, they wanted a confrontation with Jesus, and they wanted Jesus to uh, basically state his view on divorce and remarriage And uh, they had heard the Lord speak on this subject before because in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, Jesus reiterated the same principle on the Sermon of the Mount. And there's no doubt that the uh, Pharisees had heard Jesus speak on this subject many times. And so this wasn't an information question. This was a confrontation question. And they wanted Jesus to basically... uh, express what the scriptures uh, taught on this, and we need to remember that the Pharisees had taken a very liberal view on divorce and remarriage, and they were practicing divorce and remarriage for any reason at all. If your wife burnt the toast, you could divorce her. If you didn't like the way that she dressed, you could divorce her. And if you're thinking, I'm making this up, I'm not. This is, in fact, how petty it became. It became. And if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 19, there's a little caveat there that Matthew adds that Mark doesn't, because there the Pharisees ask, can uh, you divorce your wife for any reason? Now, at the heart of the Pharisees' question is a passage from the Old Testament Scripture, Deuteronomy 24. So if you want to turn there, I want to read four verses because... This is the passage in question that the Pharisees are using to justify their views on divorce and remarriage. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as a wife, then her former husband, who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now the Pharisees held to a rabbinical interpretation of this passage from a rabbi named Hillel. Hillel was a very liberal, progressive, woke rabbi. And basically he had died about 20 years previous to Jesus being uh, on the face of the earth here. And his view of this passage was that a man can divorce his wife for any reason at all and give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Any reason, every reason, was good enough reason to divorce your wife and send her away, to give her a written certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, the Pharisees held to this view. So get the picture here, all right? The Pharisees are basically marrying and divorcing women faster than you can change your clothes, They are basically teaching the people the same thing. They are saying, look at us. We are your religious leaders. We stand in the synagogues. We stand in the temple. And we are your examples and we are teaching you. And what was their example and what were they teaching them on this subject? Basically that you could divorce your wife for any reason you want. And they were doing that. And to justify themselves, they taught the same to the people. And so therefore, when this question was asked to Jesus, you undoubtedly had a group of Pharisees that had been divorced and remarried numerous times, and they were not only doing it, they were teaching it, and therefore, probably the crowds that were before Jesus were also divorced and remarried multiple times as well. Not all of them, of course, but a lot of them because they had basically saw their rabbis, the Pharisees do it, teach it, and therefore they were justified in doing it. And at the heart of what justified them was this passage in Deuteronomy 24. Now, if you look closely at this passage in Deuteronomy 24, It's not actually talking about a certificate uh, of divorce and actually basically uh, giving carte blanche uh, permission to do it. Uh, If you look at it, what Moses is talking about there is that when a man takes a wife and marries her and he happens to find no favor in his eyes because of some indecency in her, he could write her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand and send her out of his house. Then she goes and becomes another man's wife. And if that man finds something that he doesn't like about her, he can do the same. Or if he dies then what uh, the law is saying is that that former wife cannot go back to her original husband and remarry him because that is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord and you cannot do that. And so really what Deuteronomy 24 is talking about is saying you cannot go back to your former husband and your former husband cannot remarry you once he has divorced you. That's really what Deuteronomy 24 is teaching. Now, the Pharisees looked at it and said, there it is. Moses says you can send away your wife for an indecency. Now, indecency, what is that? Well, they interpreted and concluded it's anything you want to be. So they filled the word up, indecency, with just about anything that they wanted to, and they began divorcing their wives left, right, and center. But Moses gave a command not to divorce. It was not permission to divorce. It was a command not to remarry an illegitimately divorced woman. That's what the command is. So they said, so in view of Deuteronomy 24, Jesus, what do you say? Are you going to come down hard on all of these people that are in front of you and every divorced person that's in this crowd and are you going to call them a bunch of adulterers and adulteresses? That's what the Pharisees hoped Jesus would do because Jesus, uh, they wanted to discredit him in front of the people. They wanted the people to turn against the Lord. So Jesus... Answered the question by cutting through all of their rabbinical traditions all of their man-made rules and he simply asked them what does the scripture say what did Moses write now there is a second part in that answer in Mark 10 that Jesus alludes to and it's found in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and there the Lord Jesus gives the actual blueprint for marriage. And it hasn't changed to this day. The blueprint that God gave to Adam and Eve is the same biblical blueprint that we have today for marriage. And Jesus referred to it in his answer in Mark 10. He basically said, one man and one woman are to be married for life. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It's right there in the Bible, right at the very beginning in God's design for marriage. He says, one man shall be married to one woman for their lives. The second thing he says is that they are to leave their mother and father, and they are to cleave to one another. Literally, the word means they are to be glued together. They are to be glued together. And there is no other relationship as important as a man and wife who have left their parents to start their own lives together. The Lord says, God says, for this reason, a man and a woman shall leave their parents and they shall cleave to one another. Now, parents, if you have kids that are married... You are there to pray for them, you are there to encourage them, you are there to enjoy all that your children's union brings to your life and enriches it, but you are not there to intrude in it. You are not there to overreach or insert yourselves into their marriage because you need them more than they need you. The biblical pattern is is that your kids have left you to go and start their own lives, and now that relationship is the most important relationship in their lives. They have left to leave, they have left, and now they are cleaving. A wise marriage knows there are biblical boundaries based on God's design for it. You are to leave and cleave to one another, you're not to be on the phone to your mother six hours a day and parents will understand that they're not to be on the phone to their kids six hours a day parents will understand God's principle as well in respect and honor that what God is doing in them is a biblical thing and they're in the process of cleaving to one another. Does that mean that grandparents have no place? Of course not. But what it means is that wise parents will realize that this type of uh, relationship is unhealthy, this type is very healthy. And that means that you are there to support and love one another at a proper boundary. And it's right there in Genesis 1 and 2. It's all laid out for us. The third thing is, is that we are becoming one flesh and we are to bring up godly offspring to produce one. Our children are the production of two people coming together in one flesh, in sexual union, Uh, Bringing about godly offspring. And lastly, God says this what God has joined together. Now, what God has joined together in every marriage, I don't care if it's a Christian marriage or non Christian, all marriages are of God. And in that marriage, at that moment, God has joined them together, not the pastor. Not the ceremony. There is a invisible union that takes place at a marriage where God is the honored guest and he is joining them together in spirit. And it is a sacred thing. And God says that it is so precious and so valuable that he says what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's the biblical model and it's never changed. Just as God brings life into the world, God is involved in bringing life into a marriage. He brings two together and it is his work. So why does he hate divorce? Because from the very beginning, he designed one man, one woman to be brought together, becoming one for life and not separated, and therefore he hates divorce because divorce is a violent act. It brings incredible pain to the people that are going through it, and it brings incredible heartache and pain to the children that have to endure it. It is a wrecking ball, and it brings a lot of damage into the family. Now, God doesn't hate you if you're divorced. God doesn't hate divorced people. What God is saying in his word is, if at all possible, make every effort at restitution, forgiveness, and working it out rather than going to divorce as an option because it is a violent act. Now, if this is normal, if this is the way God designed human beings, why is there such conflict in marriage? Why is divorce so common, not only in our culture, but in all cultures, and why is it so common in the church? Well, the answer, again, is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. When sin came into the world, when Eve sinned and Adam followed in sin, the race was cursed. We all fell into sin. It says Adam was cursed, he was cursed to labor by the sweat of his brow, and he would have to earn his keep or his bread. It says the woman was cursed, and in Genesis three sixteen, she would suffer pain and childbearing, and then it says, Your desire shall be toward your husband, and he will rule over you. Oh, what a joy. And this curse has spelt incredible conflict in marriages. And the language, as we saw last time, means that instead of her willingly and graciously submitting to him and he tenderly and compassionately leading her, she will have a desire to dominate him and he will have an overbearing reaction of overdominating her. And that is the conflict between women's liberation and male chauvinism. That's all part of the curse. A sinful woman with a strong will wants her way, and an equally sinful man with a strong will will want to dominate her. This makes divorce an issue because ultimately the conflict can come to a level where people just can't stand to be together anymore. And that leads to separation and divorce. And here's the reality of life in case you who are married or those of you who are desiring to get married, I'm going to give you a very deep and profound truth. The reality of life is sinners marry other sinners. And together they produce cute little sinners. And you have a whole lot of sin in your home. And if you don't know that as a reality, you are in for a big wake-up call. You have two little beautiful sinners right there waiting to have their way. You have two lovely little sinners there waiting to exercise their sinful desires. And what is that? I want my way. And that means our hearts are naturally disposed to wanting our own way. And do you know that there is nothing harder than trying to reason with a hard heart? If any of you have counseled somebody that is thinking of being divorced or going through it, you realize that it's almost futile to try and reason with a hard heart. There's nothing harder than a hard heart. It's exactly what Jesus said in Mark 10. Moses gave you permission. It wasn't God's will that you should divorce, but your hearts are so hard he made a concession for you. Now that means that good marriages are a lifetime of good decisions based upon the fact that you're both sinners and you're going to need grace. Because you will have times of confusion and conflict and fighting and disagreements And you will wonder, why in the world did I ever marry that person? I'd be so much happier if I didn't do that. And she's thinking the same thing about you, by the way. But you come to your spiritual senses and you realize we are just imperfect sinners. And that spiritual sense must prevail. And we must learn to forgive one another and apologize to one another and own up to our mistakes. And realize that this is what it means to be human and sinful and walking out our lives through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And so one of the things that makes for a healthy marriage and a a marriage that survives is that we think of Paul's advice. And that is just as God has forgiven you in Christ, so you must forgive one another. The same grace that has been given to us while we were yet still sinners, apart from deserving anything of God's grace, Christ saw us, loved us, and saved us, not because of our worthiness or because of anything that we had to offer him, but the fact that we were rebels and sinners, and yet he loved us and died. And God says that this is the same grace formula, this is the same truth and principle that you must apply to every relationship in your life. As God in Christ has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. It's like the parable that Jesus told about the the um, steward who had been found out and uh, his master forgave him of these incredible gifts. And then he walks out and finds someone that has a minuscule uh, offense against him compared to what he owed, and he wouldn't forgive him. So, we come to the question of what do we say to Christians who are considering divorce? Do... uh... Hang in there, you're miserable, and the forecast is for more misery. Well, if you don't get some key questions right in your heart and mind, and you don't start asking the key questions, that's exactly what's in your future. A whole lot of misery. So how do we counsel and console biblically those who are thinking about getting divorced, or those who have actually experienced it and now are remarried? Well, first of all, what does the Bible say about it? Well, first of all, the Bible is very clear. Here's what Jesus taught on the subject. In Matthew 5, 31 and 32, he says, Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So one of the clear exceptions is adultery. That if your partner is an unrepentant adulterer and refuses to reconcile or to enter into any type of... There is an exception there for divorce. Jesus also said in Matthew 19, 8 and 9, he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. From the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. So adultery is biblical grounds for divorce, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word sexual immorality in the Greek is the word pornea. It means sexual sin. And there is a lot of discussion about this word because sexual sin, pornea, can encompass a whole lot of ground. For instance, pornography is a sexual sin, pornea. There are all types of Strange and demeaning sexual addictions and practices that would be considered pornea, unhealthy, outside the normal sexual practices which is within the marriage bounds. So, if you're asking me today for neat and defined boundaries on sexual immorality, I can't give you that. I can just simply give you an opinion. It says for sexual immorality. Now, the word is pornea, and it means sexual sin, and there's a lot of different types of sexual sin out there. Secondly, we are told by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7.15 that if you are abandoned by an unbelieving spouse, you're not under the law. It says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases because God has called us to peace. That seems like a rather straightforward exception. And these two are very explicit and easy to understand. Are there other grounds for divorce beyond what the Bible explicitly says? There's a lot of opinions And it's very dangerous to go beyond what the Bible says, but the most frequent additional grounds for divorce that people inquire about are spousal abuse, emotional or physical, the abuse of children, addictions to pornography, drugs, alcohol, crime, imprisonment, mismanagement of finances, such as gambling addictions, And extreme mental illnesses that has detached a person from ultimate reality. And there's probably many more that I didn't think about or haven't mentioned here. And I know what people think when we talk about this. Because the first thing that they think about is what about my case? What about the exception? Well, I believe that if there is any legitimate threat to the safety of a spouse or a family member, without a doubt, it means at the least separation, just for safety's sake. These are very clear spiritual common sense things that should prevail when people are thinking about things. But I would say that whatever, the ground, whatever grounds the Bible possibly gives for divorce... That does not mean that God desires a divorce to incur in every instance. Rather, I think that a person should ask, is whatever the reason a grounds for divorce, often the question should be reversed, is whatever the reason I'm thinking of for divorce, rather should it be grounds for forgiveness, restoration, or counseling? But above all of this, above people that are legitimately in the throes of having to consider this most painful question of whether or not divorce is an option for them, what about those great number of people out there that the only reason that they can give for divorce is that they're unhappy? It's not because their partner has committed adultery. It's not because they have been abandoned. It's not because they have an addiction problem. It's not because they have a sexual problem. What they have is a happiness problem. And I don't think that we should demean that. And I don't think, and I'm not talking here from a point of being demeaning about that because unhappiness It's a hard burden to live with, and it's a hard thing to deal with when you think about how short of time we have here on earth. But unfortunately, in the church, unhappiness is one of the biggest reasons why people consider divorce. And scripturally speaking, at least what I can find in the Bible, unhappiness does not give permission for people to divorce and remarry. Now, if you want a divorce, you can, but biblically, because you want a divorce because you're unhappy, there's no permission to remarry. You can divorce, but I don't see any biblical permission for you to remarry without actually committing adultery. So here's the bigger question, and it's not so much about whether or not I can divorce, But if you're unhappy in your marriage right now, I would say the bigger and the more pressing issue is why are you unhappy? What is the cause of it? It is my opinion that the heart of each person is the heart of the matter. We have a little book in our church, it's right here, it's in our church office. And when we have the book table open, I think that we have it on the book table, it's by Paul David Tripp called Marriage, Whose Dream? Now, if you're looking for good biblical counseling, because so much of what passes for quote-unquote Christian counseling, I'm a little suspect about today. Okay, that's my opinion. So if you want to shoot me Go ahead, but not till after next week because I'm on holidays. I want to take a week of holidays, then you can shoot me. But this is biblical counseling. That's what you're seeking. You're seeking God centered solutions, not man centered solutions. And so we carry this little book because we are looking for biblical counseling resources in our church all the time, and we have found about six or eight copies that we really like pertaining to things that people walk through and deal with all the time, and this is one of them. It's only 17 pages. You can read it in 15 minutes. Now... I would strongly suggest you write down his name, Paul David Tripp, and that you order any books that he has written because you will be tremendously helped in your life by the way he brings focus into our marriages and into our hearts. So let me quote to you. Why are you unhappy? I'd like to just quote from this book. Now consider your own life and your own hopes for marriage. Whose dream are you bringing before Jesus? Yours or his? Do you want what he wants for you in your marriage, or is your dream shaped by your own personal definition of a paradise marriage, of the ultimate husband or the ideal wife? The greatest marketing concept in Western culture right now he goes on to say, is the all-inclusive resort. Who's been to one? couple people? Two? That's it? Come on, don't be shy. Well, yeah, most of you now. The all-inclusive resort. You pay your money and you get whatever you want whenever you want it. Someone explained one of these deals to me by saying they include 12 stated meals a day. And then he said, and the last meal is at midnight, but at 2 2 a.m., you can order pizza in your room if you want. What a deal. We got to go on one of these, honey. If God wanted life to be a resort, this is what it would be like. But we need to look at our lives in the here and now with different eyes and see that God has placed each one of us in the resort of his choosing. The blessings that God gives you in your family, in the husband and wife relationship, in your physical life, are meant to point to a deeper and fuller blessing. The actual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. He is abundant. Not your husband or wife. Not your house or your children. Your abundance is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is ours and we are his. Many people today are asking the wrong questions of why they are unhappy. They're seeking the wrong things in the wrong places. And they're finding out that whatever has happened in a relationship that they have decided to walk out on, that they take the same old person and the same old heart into the next relationship and they wonder why they're unhappy again. The heart must be addressed and the heart must be fixed. Now, I can't and haven't tried to cover every conceivable experience that every person has walked through concerning divorce and remarriage. It's not the purpose of my message today. But I hope what I have said to you is what God's word has said on the subject. And lastly, that if you are unhappy today, and you are really going through a time in your marriage, that you would stop and ask yourself today, what are my priorities and my goals? Maybe another way of putting it is, what are my God's? in my life. Have you set up, and you don't even know it, idols that are not biblical? I will be happy if I have a husband that has this much earning power. I will, have, I will be happy if my wife does these things and meets my goals or expectations. And pretty soon we don't realize it, but our hearts have become an idol manufacturing uh, plant. And we have put our idols, our expectations and desires, way above what God's Word tells us should be our desires. So I would hope today, at least, to stir your hearts about asking yourself are your priorities biblically driven, Jesus centered? Are your goals something that God asks you to aspire to, or is it just something that you have uh, self determinedly set for yourself? I would ask you today to consider, is your heart soft, or is it hard? Is it right and tender before the Lord so that his word can enter in and actually deal with you and speak to you? Because... If you haven't asked those questions, you're asking for a whole pile of hurt in your life. Is the priority in your life fixing you or fixing your spouse? Are you seeking happiness as the ultimate destination or are you seeking the Lord? I can tell you that one will deliver and one will not. The Lord never fails. And as we sang today, the Lord is good. Amen? So I pray that the Lord may encourage you through the times of marriage. Sandy and I have been married for 30 years. We have had our battle royales. We have had good times and we have had bad times. But we have been encouraged in the Lord through all of the times because he has been the foundation and the center of our marriage. And so today I'll just leave you with this one little thought. Do not give up your faith in God's word, in God's plan and in God's purposes, for they are good for you. It is the only plan and the only purpose to which you want to align yourself with. So I pray that you would be strengthened today by the Holy Spirit, not to run away, but to press deeper into him. Amen. Let's pray together as the worship team joins us. Lord, thank you today for your word. It is not the definitive and last word on divorce and remarriage. But I do pray, Lord God, that you will encourage each and every person in the Holy Spirit to consider what your word says and what the motivations of their heart is as they walk through life. For every good marriage, we give you thanks. And we bless you for the joy and, Lord God, the beautiful blessings that it has brought to each and every life. And, Lord, for those that are in a struggle, I pray right now, O Lord, that as believers in you, as people who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, have received you as their Lord and Savior, who believe that the Bible is the word of God, infallible, inspired, that, Lord, they will find Lord God, a change of attitude in their hearts and that they, Lord God, will come with a humble heart, with a willingness, Lord, to be readjusted. Lord, a willingness to be molded and pliable, Lord, in the Holy Spirit's hands. And most of all, Lord, that your word would be just a rock for them to stand on and that your truth will destroy and cast down every lie that so easily encaptures our minds and our hearts to saying, well, if we would just do what we want, we'd be happy. No, Lord, it's when we trust you and do what you want that we find the things that we truly seek and desire. Bless your people, we pray today in Jesus' name, amen.